It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number, if you want to give us a call, is 201-939-4513. You probably won't screen our, or take our first call, rather, until probably around 12.50 or so. So if you want to hang out for the first part of the show, that's fine. But if you want to get in, feel free. The phone lines are open. Lance Meadow, happy Tuesday. How are you? I am doing very well. Quick turnaround, all of a sudden gearing up for the Washington football team. I feel like we just survived one game, yeah. and now we got to get ready for game number two. And I want to give my quick take on that game on Sunday. You and Paul, I thought, did a great job recapping it on yesterday's show. And frankly, Lance, I thought both of you guys are right. I think your microanalysis, talking about the Giants' inability to, to get points inside the 20-yard line, was really important. Because against a good defense like the Broncos, you're not going to get down there that often. And if you get inside the 20-yard line four times and only come away with seven points, that's a problem. And that's pretty much what the Giants did until that final drive. And you can kind of throw that out because they're playing prevent defense. So, you know, the Daniel Jones fumble happened inside the 20. They had the turnover on down. So you can't have those types of mistakes inside the 20 and expect to beat a good defense like Denver. And I think Paul, and I think your guys' points complement each other well, I just don't think the Giants played very well. I thought they weren't that sharp. You know, Daniel Jones' numbers were fine. He didn't have an interception. I thought his ball placement on some throws wasn't quite as sharp as it could have been. Ironically, Lance, before the year, we're like, oh, we think the defense is going to be fine, but the offensive line, we worry about that. Turns out the offensive line actually played pretty well, and the defense, I thought, was really the key to the whole loss. As much as people want to focus on the offense, and I understand why they do, until that final touchdown, the Giants only scored seven points. Completely fair. But going into the game, given the strength of the Broncos' defense, even with Bradley Chubb inactive, I didn't expect the Giants to put up like a 30-burger or a 27-burger. I thought it was going to be a, a grinded-out type of game, and I was pretty clear about that last week. But I did not expect the Broncos to basically march up and down the field the way they did in this game. And, and to me, all you need to know about the result of this game, Lance, is very simple. You gave the third down and fourth down stats yesterday, 7-15 to 15 on third down, more importantly, third and uh, three for three on fourth downs. I'm going to the Broncos' drive chart here. After the Broncos punted on their first drive, Lance, their next drive, 15 plays, 72 yards, field goal. The next drive, eight plays, 58 yards, a fumble at the five-yard line. So they got to the five-yard line before they fumbled. The next drive, seven plays, 57 yards, touchdown. The next drive, 16 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. The next play, the next drive, 10 plays, 54 yards, field goal. The next drive, four plays, 79 yards, touchdowns. You're not going to win many games in this league, Lance, if you allow six consecutive drives of 50 yards or more, five of which result in scores, and you don't force one punt. The Giants forced two punts the whole game. The first drive of the game and the final drive of the game when the Broncos weren't even trying to score. You not, I don't care what your offense does. You're not going to win many games if your defense cannot get off the field for basically the entirety of the game. And that's what happened against Denver. Teddy Bridgewater, I thought, played really well. The Giants' pass rush, I thought, was okay. They didn't get home as much as they could have. I thought Bridgewater could have been sacked a couple more times. He broke a couple tackles, stiff-armed the guy. And then the secondary, frankly, guys were way too open. That's something we didn't see from the secondary last year, Lance. And I thought James Bradbury played pretty well. He had that one pass that Tim Patrick he allowed on a deep out uh, in the red zone to be completed. But I think the rest of the Giants' secondary players, and I thought Logan Ryan was fine, but the other corners, they allowed a lot of catches and, and the other safety. So I think put all those things together, that was the anatomy of what really was a, I'm not going to call it a blowout, but it wasn't a close game either. It was basically 27-7 to until that final you know, score at the end of the game, which was a garbage-time touchdown. And I think they just overall have to play better. We saw some issues similar to last year. We saw some different issues from last year. And just overall, it was, it was a disappointing week one performance. But the good news is, the good news, Lance, is that a lot of times in the NFL in week one, weird things happen. You go around the league, did anybody expect the Packers to play that way in week one? Absolutely not. You go around the league, did people expect the Titans to get blown out like they did against Arizona? Absolutely not. Strange things happen in week one. So take the game 
absorb it, make the adjustments you have to, but that doesn't necessarily indicate how the rest of the season is going to go. I realize that was a very long statement. You can now respond to anything you want now that I am finished. Go well, ahead. the one thing I was going <laughs> to add was in terms of how it's only one game. Remember, Tampa Bay didn't look very good against New Orleans in week one last season, if you recall. Dude, they didn't look good in week nine. <laughs> True. Yeah, it took them about half a yeah. season. They were a 7-5 and five team before they won their final four games. But the reason I'm bringing up the week one opener is Tom Brady threw a pick six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Saints did pretty much just as much of a number on the Bucks last year in week one as they did against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So... You know, this is why we always say it takes the first quarter of the season to really get a true feel of what a team's strengths are, what a team's weaknesses are, and perhaps the outlook of the team. It was an extremely disappointing performance by the Giants. There were issues on both sides of the ball. I'll further highlight, just to add to your analysis, three of those Denver drives, you were giving the yardage, but three of those drives were for at least 10 plays, which means, you know, Denver had the Giants' defense exactly where they wanted They kept them on the field, but they wore them down progressively. And most important, Denver finished its drives with scores. Whether it was a field goal or a touchdown, they had something to show for it. The Giants didn't have much of anything to show for any of their drives that got deep into Denver territory. That, to me, was the biggest difference. I know I threw out the numbers yesterday, so we don't need to rehash that. And as far as the wide-open targets that you were referencing— K.J. Hamler, and Denver's fortunate. They wound up scoring on that drive, but, I mean, he essentially had what should have been a deep bomb of a touchdown. I mean, you couldn't have asked for Teddy Bridgewater to put it in a better spot. He couldn't hold on to it. And then he made up for it. He had a 22-yard reception on the sideline off a cross. So, you know, those are two examples, and there were plenty of other receivers. But, John, you had two for K.J. Hamler alone, where he was pretty much wide open down the field, and those were two significant plays that helped the Denver Broncos move the ball. If you were Denver coming into this game, you said, we want to play with the lead, check. You want to be able to have a balanced offense, meaning not have to dictate the game just with Teddy's arm, but be able to mix in the run, check there, and then have your defense have an opportunity to be aggressive, but also not need to go for that big game-changing play because you have enough of a cushion. And they met all three factors that I just listed because of how the game flowed and the Giants' mistakes and the lack of execution. And you can't afford to do that for a quarter. You certainly can't afford to do that for all four quarters, and there were certainly issues across the board on that front. Yeah, no question about it. And I think this is a good time, Lance. It's a short week. So let's proverbially... That's a word. Turn the page right now. (laughs) It is a word, I swear. Um, And now we'll turn our attention to the Washington football team here with the Giants take on on Thursday night. And this is related a little bit to my first statement about the first game. Uh, This is a really important game. I mean, what did I say to you guys before the season? Just don't start 0-2 and I'm happy, (laughs) okay? That's what I said before there. I know the players and the coaches, they want to win every game. I get that. From my looking from the outside-in perspective, just don't start 0-2, I'll be happy, all right? Now, all of a sudden, short week, on the road, division matchup, Armageddon, right? Because you can only imagine what it's going to be like on Friday if they start 0-2. It's going to be people, you know, jumping off bridges. So, very important game for one. And I do think in a couple ways, for both Washington and the Giants, and I think this is a good way to start this, this is a way to say, all right, was week one for real? And in a couple different ways. For the Giants, it's our offensive line, at least in terms of pass protection. They didn't run block well enough, but in terms of pass protection— we think we did a pretty good job. I know Bradley Chubb wasn't playing, Von Miller had a couple sacks, but if you look at all the advanced statistics, it's in my story on the um, on Giants.com on the game review, the Giants were, you know, near top of the league in terms of not allowing pressure, protecting Daniel Jones. He had time to throw the football for the most part. On the other hand, Washington in the first week, they only managed seven pressures the entire game, Lance, on Justin Herbert, which for a defensive line that is – rightfully so much ballyhooed in terms of how good they are, that's an extremely low number. I watched that game this morning, and I was really impressed at how the Chargers are able to get the ball out of Justin Herbert's hands quickly. I think his average time to throw was 2.38 seconds, which I think was the fifth or sixth quickest in the league in week one. So they did a really good job, I think, of getting the ball out, which I think neutralized a big part of that Washington pass rush. And now I think we're going to see the rubber hit the road a little bit, right? You know those Washington pass rushers are annoyed. The Chargers pretty much moved the ball the whole game against Washington in Week 1. They had over 400 yards of offense. 
what were they, 14 of 17 on third downs? 14 of 18? It was some ridiculous number that I've never even seen before. They had the yeah, best 14 of 19. 14 of 19, up. thank yeah. you. They had the best third down percentage in the league in week one. It's over 70%. You know the Washington defense is going to be annoyed. That front's going to be annoyed. They're going to want to get after the quarterback. And this is going to be a real, all right, left for the offensive line, let's pass pro two weeks in a row, do a nice job. I do think, much like Los Angeles, you got to scheme it up a little bit, get the ball out quickly, so you're not asking to protect on a bunch of seven-step drops. But I think in that way, this game to me is fascinating. Put the records aside, just from a matchup standpoint, how that Giants pass protection after a strong week one. Now, competition, I think, elevates a little bit. It was strong in week one, but elevates a little bit against Washington here in week number two. Well, and also a way to slow down those guys is to be able to run the football, oh, which they weren't able to do, John, against the Denver Broncos. I'm completely with you. I think Washington has more depth up front and more guys that you have to be overly concerned about. Plus, they're very good at getting pressure from the interior. Yep. Not to say that Denver wasn't effective in doing that, but I think when you look at the Broncos, it's more about Chubb and Miller on the edge with Washington. It's all four guys up front that you have to be concerned about. Here's the other thing that I think is important to note, and Herbert did get rid of the ball quickly. Actually, Daniel Jones, when he spoke to the media earlier today, John, one of the things he said was, I watched Herbert, and he barely gave Washington time. So oh, did they he? Know, did he? Yeah. It's funny, because I was, I was recording Andrew Thomas for the Giants huddle, so I didn't hear any of the media vows today. I'm happy that Daniel said that, because I thought I noticed that too watching the game. He absolutely did. He emphasized that. So if he picked up on that, I'm sure that the Giants are at least going to try to mimic that. But... I do think the biggest difference is I think the proven commodities that the Chargers brought in to revamp their offensive line certainly helped too, especially when you're talking about an all-pro center at Corey Lindsley. Rashawn Slater seemed to have a pretty impressive debut from yep. what I saw. He had a great run block to help them get a rushing touchdown when they were right in the red zone. So it's a little bit different in terms of the experience that the Chargers bring to the table compared to the youth that the Giants do. So you know those are some factors that I would bring up to the forefront, no, but that's overall, fair. there's no reason why, though, the Giants can't get rid of the football quickly, though. Whether you have an experienced offensive line or an inexperienced offensive line, there's no reason why Daniel Jones can't get rid of the ball like Herbert did, but, you know, that also requires guys to get separation and guys to be open and in sync with Daniel Jones. So to me, it's twofold. It's not just the quarterback getting rid of the football. It's where are the guys in conjunction to whoever Washington's going to throw out there. Yeah, the guy has to be open for him to get the yeah. ball out quickly, You're not going right? to press it, force the issue. Yeah. Correct. Just to give you an idea, when we talk about Herbert getting rid of the ball quickly, Chase Young in this game had one quarterback hurry. He didn't have a quarterback hit. He didn't have an NFL sack. But PFF tracks beaten defender stat. So basically, if you beat the guy you're going up against, but it doesn't register as a stat because the play goes away from you or something like that, right? They track that. So he had four plays where it says he beat the offensive lineman, but he didn't register a hurry, a sack, or quarterback hit on those four plays. And that, I think, just shows you that they were getting rid of the ball so quick, even when a guy like Chase Young did win, that he wasn't able to get there because the ball was out. A couple other notes on the pass rush, just very quickly, and then we'll touch on a couple other issues with Washington here, Lance. They do swap their guys back and forth. Montez Sweat spent more time over the left tackle in this game than Chase Young did. It was about two-thirds, and Young was over the right tackle for two-thirds of the time, so that'll be interesting with the matchup. I think the Sweat-Andrew Thomas matchup is an interesting one because both guys are bigger, stronger, and longer guys, so I think that, that'll be fun to watch. I'm curious to see if they put Chase Young to maybe use his quickness a little bit against Thomas you know, uh, on, on some plays. I'll be curious to see how, how they decide to work that. And then in the secondary, man, they have a pretty good cornerback core. I thought William Jackson played a nice game. He had an interception. I thought he played some tight coverage. But otherwise, there were open guys all over the field. They converted a bunch of third and longs. It was a key third and 16 that Los Angeles converted in their final drive to kind of put that game away in that game in week one. And I think their quarterback core is good. They play a lot of quarters. They play some man. They mix up their zones and their man defense. But they weren't quite as sticky as I thought they would be. Now, granted, the Chargers have a pretty darn good receiving core with Keenan Allen and those guys. But I was surprised at how 
open some of those Chargers wide receivers were, much like I was surprised that open some of those Broncos receivers were against the Giants last week. Well, there you go. And part of that could also be week one, first opportunity. All sure. these guys are out on the field. I think we need to toss it up to that. I don't think that the Washington secondary is as strong as Denver. I think Denver has no, some I more agree. proven commodities and a little bit more depth and versatility, specifically at the safety position. I think that's the biggest difference. Remember, Landon Collins was hurt for the majority of last season. Achilles. Cameron Curls, a young player, but he was a seventh-round pick in 2020. I really think he did a nice job filling in for Landon Collins, but once again, not a whole lot of experience there, so the safety play could dictate an awful lot in this game. One other guy that I want to throw out that I don't think gets enough attention up front. And by the way, just very quickly on the safeties, Bobby McCain actually played almost 20 more snaps than Curl did, so I'm curious to see how they rotate those guys this week. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, and McCain has more experience, so I'm sure probably if you ask Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera, they probably said to themselves, you know, McCain a guy that came over from Miami. He's been in the NFL. Let's throw him out there and we'll mix in Curl. Maybe Curl now gets a little bit more work. Also, Curl played against the Giants last season. A little bit more familiarity against the opponent compared to the Chargers. Once again, I'm throwing things out here. I'm not saying that they have a lot of substance behind them, but you know, it's really a feel-it-out process in terms of the first week of the season. But I do expect Curl to have some type of a role because, once again, I thought he did play well, and he has the ability to also line up his corner as well as safety. But the one guy that I just wanted to add who I don't think gets enough attention because he got hurt last season, and this is somebody that the Giants need to watch out for, Matt Ioannidis in the interior. This is a guy that can wreak havoc. He can get pressure. He can stop the run. The interior of the Giants' offensive line, I think, is going to be even more tested than they were against the Denver Broncos. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. Right between Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, and Matt Ioannidis, and you know, even a guy like Tim Settle, who has been in the league for a few years, they got four guys that are big boys that could eat up a lot of space and also could get after the quarterback. So as much as we want to focus on Chase Young and Montez Sweat, and rightfully so, this game may actually be more determined, John, based on what Nick Gates and the two guards no, do right. as opposed to perhaps how the tackles play. Now you make a great point. Denver's tackles are more about eating space in the run game. They, were, they aren't pass rushers. The Broncos' defensive tackles are not pass rushers. These guys yeah. can rush the passer. So I'm with you 100%, no question about it. All right, let's jump to the offensive side of the ball. We're all looking forward to some Fitz magic, and we are not going to get it. Instead, Taylor Henneke in the mix. We saw him in that playoff game last year against Tampa, where I thought he actually played pretty well. He had more than 300 yards passing in that game. I thought it took him a little while to get going last week. His first two passes were airborne a little bit, a little all over the place in that game last week after he took over for Fitzpatrick midway through the second quarter. But then he connected on 11 of his next 13 passes. He was pretty efficient, Lance. He's got legs. He can move. He can run. He can scramble. He's not. A, this is not one of these backups that's going to come in and just check the ball down all game. He's not afraid to throw it down the field. He's going to do that. So I think Henneke, while he doesn't have the experience of Fitzpatrick, I think he's dangerous in, in many of the same ways. And he's going to go out there and compete. I think he'll put the ball in the air, give his guys a chance to make plays, which will also give your defense a chance to make some plays. So... I think Washington will try to run the football first and foremost. They do scheme up a lot of quick passes. They do some RPOs. They run some screens. They do some pre-snap motion with the receivers and the running backs. But they're a pretty solid offense. They're not super explosive. Curtis Samuel's on IR. You have, obviously, Terry McLaurin's their star. Logan Thomas is a good tight end. Uh, Deami Brown, Humphreys, and Cam Sims kind of split the rest of those wide receiver snaps. But they have a solid offense. It's not great, but it's kind of the same things we said about Denver's offense last week. So there's going to be some challenges here that the Giants' defense is going to have to deal with. Well, we actually had a phone call at the latter part of yesterday's show, and it was, you know— alluded to the fact that, well, this is a backup quarterback. It should be an absolute win for the Giants. And my response was, well, people were saying the same thing about Teddy Bridgewater, which is what you pretty much hit on. So, you know, this is not a team to sleep on. Antonio Gibson, who was a wide receiver in college, yeah. is also somebody that they can get out into open space. You don't just necessarily have to worry about him on the ground. I think they got a lot of nice pieces around Heineke. And you're right. I think Tampa Bay saw this firsthand in the playoff game. You know, he can make plays. If he's given time, he'll certainly take advantage of that. And if he's not, he's got the legs to roll out of the pocket and try to extend plays. So 
He doesn't seem to press the envelope. I think there's a lot of comfort based on his familiarity with the scheme. Because remember, Heineke goes back to the Carolina days with Ron Rivera and Scott Turner. It wasn't just him coming to Washington last year. The reason why they brought him in when they had so many injuries at the quarterback position was because they had ties to him in Carolina. So this is a guy that's been in this system for a few seasons. I think like anything else, you do not want him to get comfortable and gain rhythm yeah. specifically on third down, okay? Because if there's any takeaway, John, from the Broncos game, it was the fact that it wasn't that Teddy Bridgewater was constantly making plays on third down. Most of the third downs were also manageable third downs, which means Denver was doing enough on first and second down, whether it be a Javante Williams three-yard run, whether it be a Melvin Gordon two-yard run. They were getting positive plays. You know, the one thing I don't think we brought up, how many plays can you look back, John, in Sunday's game where Denver was playing behind the chains? It's really not a lot. No, they did and, not have a lot of negative plays on first and second down. They did not. So, what I'm looking for in this game on Thursday is can you get Heineke to play behind the chains? And then you'll really see the true colors of a quarterback. They didn't force Teddy Bridgewater to be in that position. So you get to comfortable third downs because of your efficiency on first and second down. And I didn't think the Giants' defense was very effective in the early downs. It's going to be important for them to take away the run game so that Heineke has to shoulder the load and try to make plays. And what I mean by plays is maybe let him see if he can face a few third and nines and third and tens and make something happen. Because then once again, now we'll see whether or not the quarterback can single-handedly help them stay in the game or perhaps even rally. Yeah, and I think that takes us to the one weakness, I think, on this Washington offense, and that's their offensive line, Lance. They did not play well in week one, and a lot of it was, and not surprisingly, revolved around their starting right tackle, Sam Cosme, a guy we talked a lot about in our draft prep. After they let go of Morgan Moses, which I still don't quite understand why they did that, they plugged in Sam Cosme at right tackle, and he got to go up against Joey Bosa in week one. And as you might imagine, it did not go very well for Sam Sam Cosme. So I think that messed up Brandon Sheriff a little bit, who didn't play particularly well, who plays next to him at right guard. You have Charles Leno, who's a veteran at left tackle. We know about Eric Flowers at left guard, obviously. Chase Roulier is a veteran center. So the right side, and specifically the right tackle on that Washington offensive line. And look, Charles Leno is no pro bowler. You, you can attack him too. But after that first week, you watched Sam Cosme against Joey Bosa. It was a problem. Uh, Joey Bosa tore him up. In that game, I got the numbers right here. Um, Washington quarterbacks were sacked once, hit seven times, hurried five more times, and Cosme allowed one sack, three of those quarterback hits, and two hurries. So he accounted for almost a third of the pressures that Washington allowed. So the Giants, I don't know who they're going to line up on that side. Maybe they'll swap Lorenzo Carter over there sometimes to try to get a good advantage. But that's one place I think you can attack is that rookie right tackle. I think long-term is going to be a good player. But, you know, offensive linemen early in their careers, Lance, that can be pretty tough sometimes. Sure. I think it'll be interesting whether or not they actually stick with Cosme or maybe look to make a change because Charles, who's the backup, he actually played against the Giants in the first meeting and then got hurt. So and he was somebody he's LSU, right? Twenty 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 draft pick, LSU? Was that yeah, right? Fourth round pick yeah. in two thousand twenty. Mm -hmm. He was hurt to start last season. Then they inserted him in the lineup, and I think he got hurt. I want to say on the first drive, maybe two or three plays into the meeting, the first meeting, not the one in Washington at MetLife, and then he was sort of in and out of the lineup. So I thought they would experiment with him a little bit. If Cosby wasn't ready, they want to treat it more like baptism by fire. And Cornelius Lucas is another guy, but he didn't necessarily play very well last season, too, when he was given some opportunities. So it will be interesting to determine if he had a rough go against Joey Bosa, do they want to expose him again? Or do they go with maybe somebody that had a little bit more experience last season? Or do they rotate? Remember, we're seeing teams do types of things with quarterbacks that we never thought with the rotation of the young quarterback and the veteran quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington maybe gives a variety of different looks at right tackle depending on how Cosme fares against whoever the Giants match up with him. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's get to the phones here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But first, going to remind her that you shouldn't miss out on the return of Giants football. The 2021 season is underway, but there's still time to secure your season tickets to root on your Giants at MetLife Stadium. Speak with the Giants ticket rep now by becoming a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. The Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated. Visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or talk to your health care provider. 
right, let's go to Mike in California first, Taylor. Mike, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, John and Lance? Nice to you know, finally talk to you. I listen to you guys all the time. Well, thanks for calling uh, in, Mike. What's up? Yeah, I uh, just had a quick uh, you know, observation of Dexter Lawrence last game. I know we're moving on to the next game. but No, that's okay. I thought back. Had, yeah, I thought he had great push. Uh, you know, from what I saw, he was in the backfield most of the time. I think the edges just need to clean up now. I think OG, you know, showed me that he's he's going to be a good player. Just need to make the tackle a little bit raw. But uh, I believe Dexter's going to have a big game, and I think he's taking that next step this year. So I just want to get your thoughts, and I'll take it offline. Thanks. Oh, I appreciate the call, Mike. Thanks so much. Look, I agree with you 100%. I thought the Giants' pass rush, Lance, where it was strong uh, on Sunday against Denver, was up the middle. And I thought you saw that they were able to push the pocket. The problem is that, you know, David Deal and Sean Harris talk about the depth of the pocket and the width of the pocket, right? I thought the Giants did a pretty good job of collapsing the depth of the pocket. The problem is that they weren't getting that containment outside and getting pressure outside, either one or the other, with their edge rushers. So it gave Bridgewater a lot of time uh, and room to roll out and around the edge, which then... He could make plays off of that, and he did a couple of times. So I, I agree. I thought Dexter Lawrence did well, did get some push inside. I thought Leonard Williams got some push inside. I think, by the way, they're going to relook at that sack and take it away from Austin Johnson and give it to Leonard Williams. We'll see if that happens. I don't know if it's happened yet. When I looked at the tape, I thought Williams got a piece of the quarterback and sent him to the ground before Johnson tagged him. But that's not a here or there. I think the call is right. I think they got some pretty good pressure up the middle. I just don't think they got enough around the edge in that game against Denver to finish. And, you know, we talk about pressure, and pressure is important. It's a good guide to how good your pass rush is. But finishing is important, too. And I thought the Giants got a lot of pressure on Sunday. I don't think they finished as well as they could have. Well, that's why Teddy Bridgewater was able to escape. Probably the best play to utilize an example about finishing is when McKinney had Bridgewater, right, right in front of him. Yep. And he couldn't finish him. And as a result, Teddy was able to escape, and he made the pass that ultimately resulted in a touchdown. So that, to me, is the perfect example of, hey, you got there. But the goal is to then wrap him up and bring him down, not do necessarily a dance as if you're looking in the mirror. That's what it reminded me of. You had Teddy and Xavier looking at each other. It did. They're both shuffling their feet, but nobody's really going anywhere. So, you know, that to me, I think, spells out exactly what you were talking about. And then there was another play, too. Wasn't that playing a rollout to Lance where Teddy kind of stiff-armed the giant rusher and then he threw it across his body to Jerry Judy, right, on that other play where he rolled out and actually stiff-armed the guy? I believe so. There was also at least one or two plays, and I forget who the running back was, where there was penetration in the backfield, John. I can't remember whether it was Gordon or Javante Williams and made a guy miss and then all of a sudden got a few extra yards. So there's another example where you're in position, make Denver have a negative play, and you can't wrap the guy up, you can't bring him down, and all of a sudden they wind up turning what should have been a negative play into a positive play. Yeah, and you also had the the next-to-last touchdown, too, where Blake Martinez had the tight end almost wrapped up, and he broke the tackle, got to the sideline, and reached for the pylon. So missed tackles, 100%. Yeah. Now, part of that comes with week one. We've seen... Miss tackling, the fundamentals, you don't have time to work on that. There wasn't as many preseason games. We could sit here and give you a laundry list of excuses. But the bottom line is the execution wasn't where it should have been. And now you're going up against, and here's why this is relevant, what you're talking about, John. You're now going up against another quarterback that could get out of the pocket. Yep. So it does relate in terms of the depth and width of that pocket. You can get pressure up the gut, but if Heineke feels he has room and flexibility off the edge, he's going to do the same thing Teddy Bridgewater did. It's a copycat league. You're going to tell me Washington Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, he's not watching the film, and he's saying, hey, guys, this is where they got penetration, but notice there were shortcomings off the edge. So, Taylor, if you have an opportunity, if the pocket starts to collapse, roll out, buy yourself some time, and he's probably telling his receivers, guys, always make sure you see whether or not the quarterback is extending the play because the tight end for the Broncos, that touchdown that you're referring to, John, which is the same play where Bridgewater escaped McKinney, The tight end did a beautiful job, and I tweeted this out. And if you didn't have an opportunity, go back and watch it. The tight end made that play as much as Teddy did. Oh, yeah. He didn't bail out his quarter. He didn't leave his quarterback out to dry, excuse me. He ran all the way to the sideline and noticed, what am I run blocking anymore? It's not a run play. He was supposed to be a run blocker. He didn't. He all of a sudden hustles towards the sideline. He gives Teddy a target. He makes a guy miss. He reaches towards the pylon. Touchdown. That's what you want to see out of your playmakers. No question about it. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He's up next. Hey, Scott. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? We're doing all right, Scott. Doing all right, Scott. 
A uh, couple of points. Uh, first of all, in regards to your comment, John, I don't think there are too many guys that do too well against Joey Bosa anyway. No, so that, is, that, that, that is also true. That's fair, yes. So, um, but my comments are this. Uh, Mark Slareth, who was calling the game uh, for Fox on Saturday, made an observation which I thought was very true. And uh, although I think Daniel Jones is a great quarterback, one of the, the deficiencies I thought I saw was that he locks onto a receiver and doesn't take his eyes away. And Mark pointed that out on the air. And he says it makes it easy for the defenders to know pretty much where the ball is going. I was wondering if you had the same observation. I've heard and wh- that. And whether I've, that can be corrected. Yeah, I've heard that criticism before. I honestly don't see that as much as other people when I watch the tape. And I've, and I've heard other people, not just Mark, have that criticism, so I've heard it. I don't necessarily see that as much as other people. I think early in his career, okay. in his first year, he would lock on guys sometimes, and that was a problem. I think that's gotten a lot better, to be quite honest with you. But. I have seen other people say that. Um, I think there are some plays. I'm sure the one play he's thinking about is a third. It was a third and short. I think third Mm -hmm. and two. And he's looking left. And they had a rub route design where they were trying to hit. I think Devontae Booker had motioned out of the backfield, if I remember right. He was in the slot. And he ran a quick little out. And it was a design rub route to just get a little three-yard gain, move the sticks. And the Broncos played it really well. And they didn't end up rubbing the cornerback. They didn't set the pick. And there was nothing there. And then he held it, he held it. That's how Von Miller got his first sack. I just think that's more of a, look, the play's designed to go there. And if it doesn't go there, you know, that's kind of what the design is on a third and two. So I I get where he's coming from, but I do not think that is as big of an issue as other people think it is, at least in my humble opinion. Okay. Um, My last point is something that I was, uh, when I was watching the game, uh, may have to do with, Two different things. Uh, Saquon Barkley looks to me to be tentative, I assume because of the injury. But he was uh, running up the middle, which is not his strength, and it looked like he was just turning his legs in cement and not going anywhere. And I'm wondering if he's tentative himself. And this is just, I don't know if you can even answer this question. And is it also tied to having what Lance likes to refer to as the continuity of having an offensive line where you're not switching people all the time? And the reason I bring it up is I went back and I looked at the last six Super Bowl winners because it was easier to do it that way, and I looked at just their offensive lines. And with the exception of Kansas City, uh, which was the outlier, every one of those other teams that won the Super Bowl had the same personnel except for one that had an injury and there was a replacement. But through the season, they pretty much had the same five guys. And when... The Giants were in their heyday. They had the fame, uh, you know, those famous five guys too. Sure, they had so that consecutive it, start streak. Yeah, right. So, are the two related? In other words, is the fact that Saquon is tentative and the offensive line is not set, you know, as far as personnel, causing him not to be comfortable? to be able to run the football, because if the Giants don't run the football effectively, there's not going to be too many wins this season. So I'm hoping that that can be corrected. But in both of your opinions, is is that the problem, Uh, the fact there's lack of continuity of having personnel on the offensive line, and that's holding Saquon back, or is he tentative overall and worried about the injury? And I'll take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. I, I just don't think it would, the run game was blocked very well, to be honest with you. That's just my opinion, Lance. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, that's where I was going to go with it because it reminded me actually a lot about week one last season, if you remember against the Steelers, John, and there was penetration in the backfield, and Saquon didn't have a very good statistical game in that game either, and I think a lot of people brought up the same thing. Is he hesitant, this and that? No, he didn't really have much to go with in terms of the blocking. Now, in fairness, to the last caller's point, Saquon hasn't had a wealth of games, John, with this offensive line group because, remember, he got hurt in week two, and three of these guys were rookies last year, so they certainly weren't with him in 2019 and 18. So I think that is a fair observation, but if you were to ask me, well, why didn't Saquon have success or overwhelming numbers in week one against the Broncos, I really don't think it was the fact that he's had limited action on the field with Andrew Thomas and Nick Gates, and so forth. I think it was a matter of Denver got good penetration. They didn't allow a lot of holes to develop, and they pretty much 
bottled up the Giants on the ground, and they made them, for the most part, one-dimensional. I think it had much more to do with that than Saquon playing mind games with himself. Agreed. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Just want to remind Giant fans that you still have an opportunity, if you so desire, to become a Giant suite holder. You can take in all the action of Giants football from your very own private suite. They're a great way to entertain your family and friends while rooting on your Giants right here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giant suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. And if you're interested in a special Eli Manning suite package, select option four. Because on September 26th, watch the Giants retire Eli Manning's jersey in style. The offer, the package, an exclusive suite with Eli bobbleheads, jerseys, T-shirts, and more. Speak with the Giants sweep rep. Again, it's 888-NYG-1925. Select option number four. Let's go back to the phones and say what's up to Jay in Brooklyn. I believe he's next. Jay, what's going on? Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, Jay? Uh, John, uh, what you brought about about smart starting on, too, I think is extremely important for all the reasons you said. But also, you know, during the last quarter of last year, you know, when everybody was having a connection about who Philly, you know, benched and put in and then took out, a lot of people swept underneath the rug how they played those last four games. I mean, if you go back and look at the stats for those last four games, specifically the defense, let's take the offense up in the crazy for a second. I mean, they were picked apart by Baker Mayfield. They were run ragged by, by uh, um, Kyle Murray. And they were ran over by Baltimore. And they were a Mike McCarthy non-challenge with losing the last game. So I wonder if that has any correlation to this. To be honest, this first game looked a lot like those last four games outside of Dallas game last year. No, Jay, look, I, th- I think you, look, I think you make a good point, and I think one thing we had to be careful at, we talked about how much better the Giants looked in the second half of last year, and they did compared to the first, compared to the first you know, six games, the last eight games looked a lot better, right? But it's important to, I think, dig a little bit deeper into those final eight games. And remember, three out of those final four games, after that big win at Seattle, which is a le- legitimately great win, the team did not play well against Arizona, Cleveland, and Baltimore. And you're right. The defense I mean, I, did not get the stops they need to get in those games. I think that's fair. I mean, let's be real, John. They were kind of non-competitive in those three games. Well, I they mean, were also non-competitive because they barely scored any points in those games, too. No, Jim. understood. And I, okay? I, I, I mean, that's, that's really why they were non-competitive. Though, though, in fairness, I believe, I believe, I believe those, I believe their three opponents got leads very early in all three of those games. Correct? Am I wrong about that? If I remember right? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, but I mean, they scored thirteen or less in all three of those. Hundred percent, Lance. Absolutely. But if you go back, their defense was in those games. they had a problem. Well, I mean, I think the common theme, Jay, was the run game. Cleveland was able to pound the football. Uh, Baker also had some nice throws over the middle throughout the game. Baltimore, we know they pounded the football between Lamar and the two backs. And Arizona, not necessarily the run. I mean, Kyler Murray made some plays. Remember, Kyler was hurt in that game. It was really the defense, though. Remember, Hassan Reddick went off in that game and completely changed field position, too. Right, but, I mean, again, their defense was supposed to was, was touted as a strength. Everybody knew this defense was going to be a strength. I'm not saying this season's over by any stretch. But I think it's something that Bears watching. I don't think it's a it, – we hope it's just not – it's a coincidence the way they played the first game. No. But I'm telling you, if you go back and look at those games, there was a lot of correlation between those games and the way they looked the other day. No, yeah, look, well, Jay. there were certainly issues. There's no, no look, doubt about go it. Go ahead, Lance. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I didn't mean to go draw. I was no, going to say, fine. I mean, I don't disagree with you, Jay. And this is why I always say this. You can't assume that how your team plays during a nice stretch at the end of the season is just going to carry over. It's just that's not how football works. Do you remember how mad people got at us? We did about a half a show this summer, Lance. It was in the dog days of summer. A lot of people probably weren't listening to it because it was, you know, con- consuming football content in like the second week of July. But we talked about how from year to year, the top 10 defenses change a lot. Almost like 60 to 70% of the teams either come into the top 10 or leave the top 10. We looked at it from year to year, right? And it just changes. Defense from year to year can be very inconsistent. So I think when you look at this week, what I'm most concerned about is seeing the coverage be a lot stickier. I thought last week guys were way too open. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater made some nice throws. There were also plays where guys were just wide open. Like no one was really near the guy. So I think you need to see it get sticky. I would like to see Adoree Jackson play a little bit better than he did in his first week. Uh, you know, I, I can't get too wrapped up in chemistry in the secondary because Lance is pretty much all the same guys except for one in Adoree Jackson. I know that does matter. I shouldn't discount it. But I, I think you really need to see the second. You know, the secondary is supposed to be the strength of the defense, right? 
I think yep. we need to see them step up and play a lot better in week two than they played in week one, is my point. Yeah, and in fairness yeah, to the secondary, they had some opportunities for opportunistic plays. It's just, unfortunately, the ball didn't necessarily bounce their way. You know, Logan Ryan made a play. He recovered one fumble. Then the Judy play, unfortunately, you know, his knee was down. But there could have been another opportunity to maybe change field position. So they were aggressive at times. It just, as you mentioned, John, it just wasn't consistent enough. It was fluctuating throughout the game. And it's hard to win games if you show flashes but you don't do it enough throughout the four quarters because teams are eventually going to get enough big plays, which Denver did, and they're going to be able to capitalize okay. off of it. Two that. punts. Two punts, and, yeah. one, and, and one was when Denver was running out the clock. So it's, so it's really just one punt in the first series of the game, and that was it. Yeah, one punt in meaningful football yeah. time. Go ahead, Jay. All right, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. No, appreciate the call. And look, that's why Lance go. And look, I know Giant fans probably don't want to hear me quote Ben McAdoo here, but I'm going to do it. One thing, you know, there, I take something from every coach that's here, whether it goes – Poorly or, or well. One thing Ben McAdoo stressed when he was here, Lance, was seasons don't carry over. Every team is different. What happens the last season, even if the personnel similar, doesn't mean that's what's going to happen the next season. Well, and he I knows think, that firsthand. Well, you know, right? I mean, he, yeah. he lived it, right? I mean, it went completely the opposite way. Yeah, yeah, he lived it. But even before it went the opposite way, he was warning people about that, right? Yeah. And it ended up being prescient. And I think you have to just remember from year to year, things change. You know, teams adjust to what you do. Just different seasons have different results, even if the personnel is similar. So I think it's just important to note that. And the other thing I'll bring up, too, and I'll relate this back to something from last night's game. One thing I took from Pat Shermer when he was here is the idea of halftime adjustments being nonsense. <laughs> and I don't know if you listened at all to the Manning cast last night, did you? Well, I saw a piece of it, but I don't know. I do know that Peyton and Eli pretty much poured cold water on oh, that. Oh, it, it was great. Yes, it was hilarious. Yeah. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So, by the way, I watched almost exclusively that broadcast, Lance, and I cannot recommend it enough to you. I'm and, and, and I'm a traditional broadcast guy too, but you get enough of the game where you don't need the play-by-play guy. Next week, when they do the game next Monday night and they're back on again, you should really do the Manning cast from from post to post. It was that good. Anyway, so. Peyton and Eli basically said, and they were laughing about it. Oh, you come and make halftime adjustments. You go in. It takes you a few minutes to walk to the locker room sometimes, depending on where the locker room is. You sit down. A few guys use the bathroom. The coaches are coming down from the press box, which takes five minutes. You're, you're eating oranges and bananas or whatever that is they have out on the table. You're there for two minutes, literally two to three minutes. The coach says, all right, we really like what we did in the first half. Let's run these three plays coming out. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, tackle better, do this and that, and then you have to walk back on out to the field. And they literally said you have more time on the bench between possessions than you do at halftime. So I am, I'm just warning people ahead of time. I don't want to hear people call about halftime adjustments. I don't. I'm going to destroy them every time. And I'm going to quote Peyton Manning and Eli Manning to do it. And I don't think I need much more than that, to be quite honest with you. Just saying. Yeah. No, it's a valid point, and that's why they're sitting on the benches in between series and talking to each other and looking at the film. Because... It's not like things are going wrong beginning of the second quarter. They're like, all right, let's just keep doing what we're doing. We'll wait till halftime, <laughs> and then no, we're going to make our changes. No. Yeah, I mean, the dynamics of that play out all throughout the game. Right. And then on the flip side of that, I think what Eli and Peyton were pretty much also spelling out is you're also, even if you had a little bit more wiggle room, you're not going to just throw out your playbook, okay, and start running things that you didn't practice during the week, too. So right. you have to be practical from that standpoint. No question about it. By the way, you would really enjoy it, though. It was they had. Oh, I will definitely check it out more. I mean, once again, I was flipping through the channels, no, but I will always be a traditional broadcast person. So I will always favor that no matter what unique broadcast they bring to the forefront. But well, this I, is I the just... first time I've ever watched something like this all the way through. I had never done it before. Like you, I'm always watching the traditional broadcast. I've. Just give it a chance one week. I think you'll really like it. I will definitely look to have more balance moving forward. Because, you know, I mean, I like Lewis Riddick and, and no. Greasy. I, you know, I think those Lewis guys Riddick's provide some great. good insight as I well, love Lewis given Riddick. their experience. Yeah. yeah, he's fantastic. But, dude, they had Russell Wilson on with them for the entire fourth quarter in overtime, reacting to every play. They're reading the defense pre-snap. They're talking about time management. Like, it's just in-depth stuff that you see what a quarterback has to calculate when he's on the field, um, and it was just, for me, just really, you could tell Russell Wilson at the end was like, dude, I, guys, I need to go watch tape. I need to get the heck out of here. It was pretty <laughs> yeah, funny, actually. You only got a game to prepare for. Yeah, dude, it was funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. like 
They actually get to the end of regulation, and Eli's like, hey, Russell, you want to hang with us at overtime? And Russell's like, um, sure. And then he sticks, and then literally, as as the guy catches the ball and he scores a touchdown, Russell's like, all right, guys, thanks for having me. I'm going to yeah. see you next time. Well, because he, he knew that they were going to bring faster. up the Super Bowl. That's why, probably, unless that did come up, because that's what I would have brought up to Russell Wilson. I would have been like, oh, so where's Marshawn Lynch? Are they no, going to run him on this play? It's funny. Both Peyton and Eli were grinning, but Peyton did go at one point to Russell. So, Russ, what do you want to call here? Uh, second and goal at the one. And he, did, he yeah. didn't reference the Super Bowl, but you could kind of hear it in his oh, voice. It well, was pretty funny. I mean, that play reminded me when it went off the helmet and was picked off. I mean, I know it was a very different interception. You got to give the Patriots credit. Malcolm yeah. Butler make a heck of a play. But, I mean, it, it so reminded me of Super Bowl Forty Nine and the ending of that. It was, it was a great yeah. broadcast. For the fans that didn't check it out, make sure you go do it next time. It was really a lot of fun. All right, let's go. To, I believe Tim in New Jersey has been holding the longest time. All right, Tim. Let's go to Tim. He's up next. What's up, Tim? How's it going, guys? What's up? Good right. Uh, listen, just wanted to touch base a little bit about the game. You guys touched, uh, uh, you know, the game uh, Sunday. You guys pretty much hit on a lot of points. But uh, one big play in the game that I haven't heard mentioned too much about is uh, with about a minute to go before halftime, uh, our defense was on the field on a fourth down play, and, uh, you know, uh, Denver converted. If we get a stop there, you know, it's it's – ball at the midfield with two timeouts to go. If we score some points before halftime, it's a different ball game. Well, I mean, that was kind of the story of the game, Tim. I mean, the Broncos had three fourth downs that they converted, and three of those fourth downs led to, t- led to scores. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely yeah. right, man. You get a stop on a couple of those fourth downs, it could change the whole tenor of the game. No question about it. I mean, on the yeah, flip I mean, side also, Tim, the Daniel Jones fumble, I mean, that could have been another opportunity, too, for the Giants. Yeah, they're inside closer. the 20. Yeah. So, you know, there were a lot of plays. I don't think it really just comes down to one thing in particular. No, definitely. But, uh, you know, looking forward, you guys have, you know, hit on the uh, previous game a lot. Looking forward to Washington. Uh, I'm actually cautiously optimistic about our defense. Uh, Hanky's actually a good quarterback. He almost beat Tampa Bay in the uh, wild card game. But, you know, our defense was a few plays away from having a pretty solid performance despite being their first game together with a new starting quarterback. you know, a new guy playing next to Blake Martinez. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic on the defense, but our, our offense worries me, guys. Uh, Daniel Jones, you know, you guys said earlier that uh, you, were, uh, you thought he was improving with looking down his receivers. And prior to yesterday's game, I would agree to you. I would have, I would have agreed with you guys. But, you know, it seemed like he took a step back. Even on the touchdown throw to Shepard, you watch him, and his eyes followed Shepard across that whole formation. So, you know, Tim, I'm happy you mentioned that. I know the previous caller did, too. I will try to keep an eye on it this week, Tim, to see if I think that's an issue again. All right. Sounds fair, guys. You know, thank you so much for the uh, analysis. And uh, go blue. Let's beat Washington, guys. All right. Appreciate the call. Thanks a lot, Tim. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Rich in Queens. He's up next. Rich, what's up? Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing great. Doing right. Good, good. Two points, one on Saquon and one on Coach Judge. Uh, caller a few minutes ago said he thought Saquon looked a little tentative. I didn't think so. I actually thought his leg looked pretty good. You know, there was one time when he was in that big pile and he kept them churning, he was going. What I thought he didn't have yet was the vision. I think sometimes when you've been out for a little while, you're not used to running behind the line. I know the running blocking wasn't that great, but I think he hit the holes or the lack of the holes too soon. Got to let it open up, let it play out a little bit more. Looked like he was a little anxious to me instead. Well, you know, I, I think I think maybe you guys are trying to describe the same thing because I kind of saw what 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 you did, Rich, where I thought a couple times he was kind of waiting for something to open, committed to the wrong hole. Sometimes went too fast, sometimes went too slow. I didn't feel like there was a there was like a feeling of rhythm there yet for him, right? And I think that'll come as he gets more snaps. And that also yeah, may totally be more agree. of a product that he hasn't worked with all of these offensive linemen in the past. See, I think that's where continuity comes in as opposed to him, you know, not being confident. It's a matter of he sort of needs to get a better timing down in where the holes would open up on specific plays and how they're designed. And I'm sure that combined with his itchiness to be productive and get back on the field, all were contributing factors to that. Sure. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think it's good news that I thought the legs looked good. Then on to Coach Judge. Uh, if you watch the game with about three minutes left in the game, you can see on the sidelines Von Miller's got the baseball cap on. Meanwhile, we're on a short week. We have Peppers back there returning a kick. Slayton takes a huge hit, and then to win the game, or to, not to win the game, to score the final play, we got a QB draw. I mean, a little 
funny to me. I know he's competitive, and I, that's what I love about him. But, I mean, a little risky on a short week to have some of our key players out there. I thought it was a little bit unnecessary. Well, he, he did take out some of the guys. Galladay wasn't in there for the final drive. Saquon wasn't in there for the last two drives. I don't think Kyle Rudolph was in there for the last drive. I do have to double-check that I'm not positive. So here's the problem, Rich. You only have so many guys active on game day, so yeah. somebody's going to have to be out there. I get not trying to run – you know, I'm not sure if that was – I guess it was a design quarterback draw. I, it I, looked like a design draw. That's what no, I – No, like, you know, it, it might have been. God a linebacker steps up or something. And, and why not C.J. Board back on the punt return with three minutes left in the game? Yeah, I mean, he, honestly, he might have just told Peppers to, to – to, yeah, you know, I, I, it's a good question. I honestly went well, – when I did my film review, I, it's such a short week. Once the Broncos went up 27-7, I kind of just stopped rewatching it because anything that happened after that to me was kind of irrelevant. I'm not going to lie to you. So I'll, no, I hear you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to go back and look at that again. But he did take out the guys that were dealing with injuries in those final two drives to at least, to, to, uh, at least try to protect them. You know, the other thing that's important to note is Peppers actually did not play as much as expected on defense. Yeah, just 47% of the snaps, 45% of the defensive snaps. So, all in all, I understand the timing of the game is more of the issue that the caller's bringing up, but if Peppers played, you know, 90% of the snaps, you're like, all right, maybe you should give him a breather. He only played 30 defensive snaps, 45%, and Mm. then he played three special team snaps. That was it. So, 33 total snaps in the entire game is all Peppers played. I'm not that, you know, nuts over those numbers. I don't think that's no, crazy. That's and fair. Yeah, I think you also, you know, brought up a very good point, and we have these conversations in the preseason. Why are these guys playing in the quarters and so forth? And in the preseason, you could argue, okay, well, you got a 90-man roster. you got an 85-man roster. You can afford to bench a lot of guys. You know, we're talking about 46, 47 players in a regular season game. You only dress, let's say, five or six wide receivers. If you bench your top three wide receivers, somebody else has to get in there. Yeah, and by so the- meaning. The fourth guy is going to have to get some snaps. Right, especially when you have Kadarius Toney and Galladay, who maybe aren't 100% there yet, and those are two guys that have to rest. So then you're really down to nobody. I mean, you literally, if you're going to put three wide receivers out there, Slayton has to be one of them because you're out of guys. Yeah, and Shepard too. Because Mm -hmm. to your point, John, you're going to rest the guys that came into the game a little bit banged up. But the guys that are fully healthy, why are you going to all of a sudden be cautious with them? So I, I think Joe Judge has made it clear his philosophy how many times, John, has he said the line, hey, if you get a uniform, you're that means play. you're eligible to play. Yep. Correct. So he basically, you may not like the fact that some of those guys were in with the game lopsided, but it actually, to me, falls right in line with his philosophy. He did not steer away from that. You have a jersey, we're preparing you to play, period. And End as, of discussion. As much as it pains me, by the way, Lance, I do have to tip the cap to Paul Dottino. He was right about Barkley's limited usage. Um, the interesting thing is I feel like they were kind of trying to break him in slowly in the first half. In the second half, he was pretty much on the field the whole time until those final two drives. So I wonder if they were ready to give him more, but then when the game got out of hand, they're like, you know what, let's just kind of hold him back here because it's a short week once they went down 27-7. to yeah. So because he was swapped out a lot in the first half, but I think for most of the third quarter and the first half of the fourth quarter, I'm not sure he really left the field much at all to be honest with you. So I'll be curious to see how much they end up playing them this week. 201-939-4513. All right, we got about seven minutes and three callers. You guys have been great so far uh, being quick and succinct with your calls, so we're going to try to do that the rest of the way as well. Let's go to Pete in Massachusetts. He's going next. What's up, Pete? Excellent. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'll make this quick. Um, positive only for me. I really thought that the run defense did sensational. Um, I, 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 they're just going to build on that. Everybody's been negative about Jason Garrett's play calling. I thought the play calling was good. Execution lacked a little bit. But my high point of this call is the run defense, and that's a huge thing to build on. I haven't listened to the whole show. I just got back in from a walk, but I will listen to you guys as much as I can. And, and that's all I wanted to say. I think the run defense is is, is going to be even better. Awesome. And, Pete, by the way, when you're on the walk, just, just lock into the Giants app. You can get us live on your walk, too. Don't forget that, man. Uh, I got one arm. I got into a big crash last weekend in Jersey. So oh, I, no. <laughs> well, that's more of a reason than you shouldn't follow John's instructions. <laughs> and you should just do one activity <laughs> at one time. <laughs> no, no. And leave the simultaneous I, 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 behavior for others. I love, to, I love listening to you guys, uh, both of you guys. Are do do a tremendous job on covering the Giants. Thank Lance, you, I'm your number one fan. 
Well, I appreciate John, that. Thank you. Well, that's too John, bad. John, I, lo- <laughs> I love how you break stuff down. It's great. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Appreciate the call, man. It's good to know. We have friends sure. up there in uh, in New England, up there in uh, Massachusetts. Good stuff. Everybody, everybody around me is a Patriot fan, and yeah, they don't understand why I like the. They don't understand why I like the Patriots. I like good coaching. I've been a coach for a long time, and Bill Belichick is a, is from the Giants. How could you not like him? <laughs> oh, I, well, Bill Belichick is one of the best coaches in the league, and, and and Pete, thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate it. Well, and the Giants beat the Patriots two well, times at the thing. Super Bowl. Yeah, Giant so. fans have no reason <laughs> yeah. to hate the Patriots. Yeah, it like, makes no sense. They really don't. Yeah. If anything, Patriot fans <laughs> should hate the Giants. Correct. I never understand. No, that. neither do I. Yeah. It's just so bizarre. You're responsible for denying them, denying Brady specifically, two additional Super Bowls. I mean, you could. I mean, look, I will make the argument: the Giants literally beat the best team I've ever seen. That Patriot team in 2007, Lance, is the best football team I have ever seen. They were so good. There's a reason they were undefeated. They averaged almost like they. I gotta go back. They had some of the best offensive numbers over the course of the year that I've ever seen. And, and I think what you saw, you know, the Giants became a dominant team and a great team in 2008. That team that won the 2007 Super Bowl, I know we talked about teams changing year to year, but that team that won the 2007 Super Bowl is a team that showed up and dominated in 2008. And that yeah. was kind of the progression of that year, at least for me. No, I'm with you. The New England dominated pretty much the entire competition oh, throughout so that good. 07 season. I mean, there were some close games. I remember Baltimore almost beat them, if I'm accurate, with that assessment. But other than that, I mean, they were winning games comfortably. Yeah, they averaged well over 30 points per game that yeah. year. But Brady, 5,000 yards passing, the whole, the whole thing. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Charlie up in Portland, Maine. Uh, someone in New England that maybe we don't like so much. Charlie, what's up? <laughs> yeah, well, that last guy had an accident and he crashed. He must have hit his head. Because if uh, if, he, if Lance is his number one fan, he, he's he's got a concussion. <laughs> oh, so by the way, kind of and, and you know what? <laughs> I, I, I actually didn't comment on his football point. I'm not sure the run defense was spectacular. I was gonna, yeah. No, I, I, it wasn't. It, look, the overall numbers are skewed by the one seventy yard run. So until that seventy yard run, they were at about like twenty five carries for a hundred, like eighty five yards. So it was fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. I thought it was fine. That's yeah, because yeah, well, you, what I brought up yeah, earlier, John, was I thought Javante Williams and Gordon got some good, strong, tough runs on the early downs, which made the third downs manageable. So, yeah, they didn't have that back-breaking run that they enabled, but Denver was still getting positive yardage no, they were, for on sure. the majority of their runs. So that's why I would say the run defense, it was usable, it was winnable, meaning in terms of their productivity, but I wouldn't say that it was dominant at times where we saw last season where they were just stuffing teams. Yeah. Denver still felt, hey, we could stick to the run, we could be productive, and we could get into some no, manageable I, th- I, th- I think that's well put. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing is you can't throw out a 70-yard run and you can't throw out a 70-yard touchdown pass. That's part of the game. So, you know, my point is that, that that's going to skew your rush average. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, because outside, but, hey, John's look. point is outside of the 70-yard run, Javante Williams had a 12-yard run. So it wasn't like they were getting a bunch of 20-yard right. runs or a 15-yard run. The 70-yard run was the, by far their biggest run. But I would agree with you because I thought Melvin Gordon did a really yeah. nice job creating that 70-yard run. It wasn't like he got one big hole and ran up the gut. He right. started on the right. He cut back to the left, he got out to the sideline, and then it was a race to the finish he line. So gone. Gordon deserves some credit and, for that. And on that play, by the way, Ojalari was in the hole, and Eric Saubert, Lance, does that pronounce it? Saubert? Saubert? The, yeah, the, Saubert. The yeah. Uh, tight end for, for, for Denver, he just kind of moved them right out of that hole. And by the way, just for <clears> the record, I'm, I'm going to save this. After I stopped talking, Lance said, I agree with you, and he was referencing Charlie. <laughs> I, I, well, it was more of a larger point. I wasn't necessarily commending no, Charlie. No, I think for you are. <laughs> I think you are. I will n- never interpret it that way. That's <laughs> it never way too go much that far. It. it never would go that far. Hey, look, that game was pathetic. No, and, it was a bad game. You know, it was a bad game. You know, when you see this is this is my problem. When you don't build your team from the front end, and you try to build the team from the back end, defensive backs. All you need is a quarterback who's a technician who gives you a thousand cuts and has time to throw and can move. And I don't care if you have four prime times back there, you're going to get beat. Mm. And that's what happened. And if we had a pass rush, actual good pass rush, and the other thing, John, you're talking about this rookie tackle, right tackle? Well, we don't have a Joey Bosa next this Thursday night. No, that's true, too. We don't. 
he's probably going to be a Pro Bowl tackle this week, you know? And where was Carter? Everyone's touting this guy in the summer. Oh, Carter, you looks great. Howard Cross and... Uh, in, uh, no, that's Kyle fair, Bank. Charlie. He oh, was quiet. This guy looks great. No, he Where was quiet. Was he? No, he was quiet. You're he right. Were... Look, it's it just blows my mind. And then, for God's sakes, Uh-oh, Daniel Jones fumbles again. If he fumbles <laughs> two more times in this Washington game, you gave a Hall of Fame quarterback just two games in 2019. This guy better be benched because nah, it's enough. Happen, this guy is a he's a. Charlie, He's what are you going to do if they don't bench Daniel Jones? Would you never call into this program again? Can you make that bet? No, I will. I will. I will call in every weekday for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, but see, but that's day. what you always do. No, no. no. See, if you're going to put sure something is. on the line, no, no. no here point. we go. No, if right. you really have a pair, if you truly have a pair, which I don't think you do, but oh, if you do, geez, okay. Yes. No, 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 no. Let's lay it down. If Daniel Jones has issues, then then. Put it on the record right now on this program that you will never call in for the rest of the season if they don't bench him. I mean, you hey, sound I very confident that. behind it. Now, so now, 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 Lance, he, I think Charlie wants them to do it. I don't think he thinks they're going to do it. I think there's a difference. Yeah, exactly. Well, but see, so that's there's why he doesn't have a pair, because a guy with a pair would actually put it all on the line. So there you go. Hey, okay, I, at least we established Hey, Lance, if you, yeah. if you remember a couple of years ago, I, I said unless they fire Jerry Reese, I will never call the show again. And guess what? That weekend they fired him. So, oh, did you? Uh, I don't I, remember you making remember that, that statement either. publicly. Too bad. Oh, yeah. yeah, you remember that. But look. No, I don't. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I don't remember you saying that at all. Well, I did. Go back in the archives. I will look. definitely waste my next hundred days looking for <laughs> <at> that program. <laughs> Charlie, yes. we, we, Charlie, we're out of yeah. time. We got to go, man. You got anything else or no? All right. Okay. I'll call again. I'll call again. All right. Thank oh, you, Well, Charlie. we can Appreciate guarantee it. that's going to happen, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> As if he has to say that. 4513. I should have known that was going to go off the rails. That was my fault. All right. Listen, glutton for punishment. Let's go to Greg in Atlanta. I don't think, based on the description, I don't think he's happy either. Greg, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, how you doing, guys? How you doing? We're good, man. Doing right. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm calling, man. Look, I'm definitely not happy. Um, And it's just things like this, for, for instance. Like, I don't know where the motivation comes to win with our organization. When you see Dallas play Tampa Bay on opening night and take the Super Bowl champs all the way to the end, and it was a great game, Philly handled Dallas, Philly handled Atlanta at 1 o'clock. Washington lost their quarterback in the first quarter and still made a game out of it. And for us to come out looking like we looked the last couple of years, that's just unacceptable. Someone has to take the blame, and someone there has to be a change somewhere because this is the same team we've been seeing for the last two or three years. Well, I mean, it's just ridiculous to see. No, Greg, I hear you. I hear you. With one, with one game, but the the way they play is just ridiculous to see, man. Greg, trust me, I understand your frustration. Everyone was frustrated walking out of that building on Sunday, top to bottom. No one was happy but you don't make rash decisions after one game. There's 16 to go. A lot can change. I mean, how do you think Packer fans feel today after getting dismantled by the Saints yesterday? How do you think Titans fans feel after getting blown out by Arizona? So, look, and again, I understand the Giants. How do you think Ravens fans feel? Right, and I understand the the Giants don't have the same track record as as those two teams through the last couple of years, and that's fair. No argument with me there. But yeah, I agree. But I agree. But we still have to see how this goes the next few games. Let's get let, let let's be patient and remember this is only Joe Judge's second year. You said it reminds you of the yeah. last two or three years. Well, he's only been here for one, so you can't put on Joe Judge what was happening under Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo. So that's yeah, how you have to look. At I don't, it. and I definitely don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But I'm and I, I'm going to go on record as saying, and, and there's a lot of things. What I'm about to say, real quick before we before I go, is two things that might upset some people. But I, I, I'm starting to wonder about Dave Gettleman. That's my first thing. And number two is I feel like the way with Daniel Jones playing and Dave Gettleman draft and this might hurt some people's feelings. Dave Gettleman drafted Cam Newton. If I'm, I think I'm not sure. No, he did not. Cam Newton is still. He did not. He did not draft Cam Newton. No. Okay, but. All right, they were part of the same organization at the same time. At yes, one they point. were, but and Cam was drafted Cam in 2011, Newton. so he did not draft Cam. That's okay. What's okay. your point, Greg? 
Yeah, when we, but with them playing for the same organization, I'm just wondering, like, why not? And I understand, but like, I don't think Cam Newton has had the weapons that we got now. And I don't see why you just wouldn't bring him in and test him out and push Daniel Jones a little bit. I'm not ready to get rid of Daniel Jones because he made great plays. But like, like, like Paul said yesterday, and I agree with Paul, that he should have slid. And if you would have took went yeah. feet first, we would have still had the ball, man. So he got to start doing those things to become great. And that's what if you don't do that, we're gonna always be in the same predicament. Thank you, well, Greg. That's all I got to yeah. say, guys. Appreciate the call, yeah. man. Good stuff. Go ahead, Lance. No, I, what I was just gonna say quickly is yes, absolutely. There's teachable moments in terms of sliding. But when you start saying that you want to replace Daniel Jones with Cam, and no disrespect to Cam, how does that put the Giants in a better position to truly find their quarterback it of the long term? It how does it? It does How does it? Even if you want to go so far, John, to say, well, I want to see what Mike Glennon can do. So Mike Glennon's now your long-term answer? No. How does that put you in a better position? No. The bottom line is, regardless of Daniel Jones's ups and downs, getting him to play as much as possible is what you need at this point to continue to evaluate your quarterback. This is his season. He's Period. playing yeah. all 17 games this year, assuming he's healthy. Assuming he's healthy, yeah. Yes. Barring injury. Yeah. He's playing, guys. That's it. Yeah. And I only mentioned the general manager, guys. Making a move like that in the regular season doesn't do anything. Well, first of all, last time I checked, Cam would have to, even if we go down that hypothetical road, Cam was not here for training camp. He doesn't Correct. know this offense. Yeah, just So just if you think it's going to take out. him one week to learn the offense, Please. look at what happened in New England last season without a true conventional offseason. It took him the entire year to get comfortable. Yeah, I mean, John Mara said in the offseason, he likes what Dave Gettleman's done. He thinks they're pointing in the right direction. And after this season, he's going to see if he still thinks they're pointing in the right direction. That's basically what he said, right? He wants to feel like after the season that this team showed improvement and he sees the pathway for them to become championship caliber. That's what John Mara said. So no decisions are going to be made, nor should they be made, this early in the season. And I think expectations and hopes and you know goals are still very high here just because of one poor game in week one. And I think we can leave it there. Lance, good stuff. You got it, absolutely. And tomorrow it is Detino. I'm sorry, yeah, tomorrow it is Detino and Fiegel's. And then on Thursday, it is going to be Lance and Paul as they get you ready for Washington. I'll be down there in the nation's capital at that point already. And then I'll be back on Friday with Fiegels to react to Giants and Washington. And make sure you tune into the Giants Little Podcast. We'll have a preview coming up uh, either end of day today, first thing tomorrow of the game. Uh, Colleen Wolf from NFL Network, Joe Judge, and Andrew Thomas join me to talk some Giants football. And, of course, the All in Giants podcast. The next episode drops on Wednesday as well. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We're back tomorrow again at 1230 for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you then, everyone.